one of us um, have a history and a family of God that we have come from as we begin the journey of making disciples. For Colin and I, it was definitely our journey in India that began to catalyze us into just looking at how movements uh, developed and from grassroots and just experiencing uh, what God was doing in that nation. And as we came back into Australia, we came back in to uh, be on uh, staff with a church called Crossway Baptist Church. At that time, it was led by Stuart Robinson, and Stuart had seen movement in Bangladesh, and uh, it was leading the church now here in Australia. Crossway uh, became family with us as we worked there for 10 years, um, and uh, just uh, doing church planting and missions, and uh, Really, uh, as we began the journey of praxis and began to step out into the journey of making disciples, they have believed in us and uh, they have encouraged us to keep going. They've supported us. And occasionally they invite us back in to share something from the Word and to bring a word of encouragement. And this is one of those uh, sermons that I just did a few weeks ago at Crossway Baptist. I'm drawing from a lot of the stories that have been happening in the last a uh, few months with us, uh, stories from Wilson in Africa and uh, the talk that um, Stan gave us about what God is doing uh, uh, in within movements and what we're hearing out of there, but uh, also the challenge for us to personally reproduce and to have spiritual children and grandchildren. And I hope that this uh, word encourages you to, to uh, reproduce and to multiply and think spiritually about the task of making disciples as we uh, jump into the sermon that I gave at Crossway Baptist. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, we're going to stay standard for 30 minutes now. And uh, no, sit down. (laughs) Really great. Thanks so much for the honor. Uh, Undeserved, as uh, I was saying to... uh, friend out in the foyer, I don't want to pump up my own tires, and um, uh, I said that I would use that term in the sermon, so there you go. Uh, it's uh, really great to be here. I do feel loved. I do know so many here that um, are friends and family to me, and um, uh, undeserved grace, really, because uh, just ordinary people, all of us, really, uh, who, who love and serve Jesus in all that we do. So I do honor you in your love for Jesus and all that you do for him and your heart, um, your heart to turn up on a day after the grand final and daylight savings and be on time. That's really impressive. That's great. Um, those online, uh, I want to just say a special good day to you. I've been uh, uh, loving to hearing the stories come out. I loved uh, Bella's testimony from a couple of weeks ago of her baptism and her testimony. I, I kind of moved me to tears when I saw your story, Bella, and your testimony. So God bless you and all those online as you love and pursue Jesus and you decide to serve him and get baptized and, and, and run that race that God has for you. Um, today we're going to jump into the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a man uh, hundreds of years before Christ who was prophesying in the face of impending doom coming on his nation uh, to take them into exile. And uh, in the swirl of messianic prophecy, he spoke some incredible things. And we're going to be jumping at three touch points with Isaiah in this sermon, uh, as well as the Great Commission uh, throughout. But um, we jump into that swirl when he says these things. 
Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. For those of us that have been around Christianity for a long time, we have sung this song and we know this scripture well. Behold, I will do a new thing. How many of you love new things? Fresh hope, fresh life, the, the newness that's to, to flood into our souls. As we start to explore uh, the dregs of our life, we say, yes, Lord, bring on the new things. But it's in the wilderness. What? Behold, I will do a new thing. It's in the wilderness. Pathways, roadways in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I like the new things, God. I'm not sure about the desert. I'm not sure about the wilderness. Surely not there. Why not now? Why not here? Why not uh, where I am? And the promise is not that he will do things, but that he is doing a new thing. And we are called to perceive the new thing. We're called to open our eyes. We're called to forget the old and to press into the new. These words are emblematic of the kingdom of Jesus and the the, uh, entering in of a new phase uh, on planet Earth. John the Baptist turned up in the wilderness and he prophesied a a message of repentance and preparing the way for Jesus. And then Jesus turned up into that wilderness. He was baptized and then thrust into the wilderness. 40 days and 40 nights of prayer and fasting. And he turned up after that with an epoch-making declaration, uh, entering a new era into planet Earth when he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Or the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Change the way you think. Forget the old. Let the new thing happen in you. And believe the good news. In Luke chapter 4, it says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread around the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the prophet, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery for the sight of blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was Jesus commissioning scripture, Jesus mandate, his call, his anointing. The spirit of the Lord is on me. So what's the new thing? Where in the wilderness is God turning up? Amongst the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed? Where's the kingdom of God advancing forcefully in our day and age? Could it be that that statement would actually be true? I have some really good news for you today. It's true, it's happening. 
It's in our day and age. And my, my role here today is just to say, will you not perceive it? Will you not open your eyes and see? When I gave my life to Jesus in the 80s, and I keep saying that's not that long ago. Sometimes in my mind I'm, I'm thinking I'm still in the youth group. I met my wife in, in serving missions, and in those days, missions was a very, very challenging concept. The, the picture of the unreached was vast. Northern India, where the biggest uh, concentration of unreached people groups was anywhere on planet Earth, thousands and thousands of people with no gospel, with no church, with no breakthrough. The Africa, Northern Africa, Middle East, uh, the Hindu world, the Islamic world, the Buddhist world, the communist world. And as we looked at these things, it was impossible. It was like a fortress locked up. And as the world of missions in those days in the 80s started to develop terms like the 1040 window, 10 degrees below the equator, 40 degrees above of this vast area of unreached peoples, unreached people groups, groups that had no multiplying church in amongst them, such a small percentage or sometimes zero percentage of Christians that it wasn't going to be rich. In the 90s, Colleen and I went to India and served God, and the stories began to creep through, not because of our presence, of course. We were just students, but we started to hear stories, unbelievable stories, where missionaries had the ambition to go and plant a single church and had labored for decades. In some places, uh, Gary Shepherd, who was a crossway missionary, now retired, uh, worked in uh, northern India, uh, in Nepal, and he worked for decades and saw one person come to Christ, a local drunkard. Wow. One person. But suddenly, in the 90s, we heard news of three uh, movements that started to take place on planet Earth. And this was, this was movements where not only churches were being planted, but they started to be multiplied. Generational growth. Believers going to their next family and starting the new church and new churches were developed and suddenly we're hearing of thousands and then hundreds of thousands of people turning to Christ in these dark places. God was doing something new. It seemed like a ripple in the pond. Something was stirring. That ripple has now turned into a wave. And I believe it's becoming a tsunami in our day. It was a historic turning point in the modern history of missions. In each one of those places where we see those stories emerging, this term, it can't happen here, is repeated again and again. When we looked at North India, the term, the expectation was, it can't happen here. It simply can't. You don't know the history. You don't know how hard it is. You don't know how dark it is. It can't happen here. Missionaries have toiled for generations. Good people, faithful people, prayerful people. Nothing wrong with them. Men and women of God. Areas that were called the graveyards of missions. As movements started to emerge and explode from the soils of these countries, 
places like North Africa started to hear, and we jump forward another decade into the 2000s, and we start to hear of the uh, movements and, and the African, the North Africans started to hear for that, and they said the same thing. It might happen in India, but it can't happen here. In hearing this today, we might say in Australia, it can't happen here. And I hope as I share that, everything in you is reacting and saying, yeah, it can. Yeah, it can. It will happen. You see, today, in 2023, not three movements, not five, not ten, not a hundred, not a thousand. But today, at the last count, this is from a couple of months ago, there's 1,965 of these movements representing thousands of people. These movements today represent roughly 114 million new disciples, making up 8 million new churches. These movements are gobsmacking and they leave you with your mouth wide open. Happening in some of the hardest places. And they fulfill the words of the prophet, something new. A roadway in the wilderness. Rivers in the desert. And they're breaking out under under the places where it can't happen here. We gather today, Roger and Delphine Sook, are you here? Can you stand up if you're here? I saw them out there. Maybe not. Anyway, we gathered around them, and um, maybe they're in the first service. Ah, there you are. Sorry. There, we just laid hands. Stay standing. We laid hands on them and, and uh, this week and sent them out again. They've been working in the state of Bihar. Bihar has 120 million people with about 45,000 villages. And when we first talked in the, in the 2000s, it was, it was the graveyard of missions. Is that so, Roger? Yeah. Now we see tens of thousands of churches emerging in Bihar. We just laid hands on there, just about to go back in in the next couple of months, going to be training all around that place. Pray for Roger and Delphine. God bless you, Roger and Delphine. Thank you. God is doing a new thing. You see, friends, these movements are the stuff of dreams. And for the missionaries of old who pioneered, people like William Carey who went into northern India, what a missionary great, all honour to him for seven years labouring before he saw one person come to faith. Hudson Taylor in China. And on and on goes C.T. Studd that went into Africa. They would look today and weep with joy at what God is doing. The whole balance has shifted of Christianity from the Western world to the non-Western world. The numbers have shifted in our generation, in our time. God is doing something dramatic and new. I was recently in East Africa with a group of about 20 of our Praxis workers there, and we were there learning from these movements that were exploding. And we had the, had the blessing to be with 42 uh, leaders of disciple, uh, 42 movements, and the leaders of those movements, amongst some of the most unreached peoples. We heard from places like the Horn of Africa, of Somalia, and for those of you know of the unrich nature of that place, just below Saudi Arabia, 
It's one of the tough places on the earth. We heard from a group of leaders there. Some of them had started in the 90s and been laboring one year, five years, ten years, zero fruit. I don't know if you can imagine that. For those of you in the business world, what are your KPIs in that scenario? Zero fruit. For those of you who had to write missionary letters back to your supporting churches, what do you write the next month? Zero fruit. And then they learnt in the mid-2000s of the, of the movements that were happening, especially from uh, North India, the principles of prayer, principles of disciple-making, principles of involving everyone from day one in the movement of God, people of peace, discovery Bible studies. And in the 16th year of that, uh, that journey, they went out and they discovered a person of peace, Somalian. Suddenly a church was born, 40 people gathered in that first year and were baptized. 15 years later, today, we see now over 20,000 churches emerging in Somalia, over 30 generations deep. It's gobsmacking. The DNA of Jesus' movement is, is the movement of God. It's multiplication. And God, from the very beginning, um, had multiplication in his mind as he was looking at planet Earth. In Genesis chapter 1, when he made man, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, multiply, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's creation mandate was this is how his image was to fill the earth. Habakkuk, the prophet, says, and the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. God's end game is that his image is saturated right across the globe through family after family after family. That's why compassion is so important. That's why sponsoring compassion is brilliant. What a great ministry. That story of the, the family in Perth linking with that family in Indonesia. I've watched it three times now. Each time I've tried not to cry or I've secretly just wiped away a tear. <laughs> so that's what it looks like. Family after family. And God's agenda is to sweep the globe with his image. Who he is, light in the darkness. And from the beginning, this was his agenda, filling the earth with his glory. I want to tell you Wilson's story. Wilson was a man I met in Africa. He's a, he's a pretty nice guy, actually a pretty ordinary guy. I, I'd, I'd met with him a couple of times and didn't even know his story until I sat down with him and heard his story and then later went to visit him in Uganda. He grew up in, in the countryside of Uganda. His father had eight wives and he had 23 siblings. As in his early teenagehood, all his parents, eight mums and the dad, died of AIDS. 
And he was left to care for the 23 siblings to look after them. So from the countryside of Uganda, he went into Kampala as a street kid, teenager. And he started to live in the slums and he started to say, how am I going to get money to support my family? So he started selling newspapers. He looked at the guy, he said, oh, I could do that. And he started selling newspapers. He was a bit entrepreneurial. He did a really good guy. He just didn't job. He just didn't get uh, sell newspapers. He got cons- uh, subscriptions and built a small business. The newspaper agency noticed him and actually said, we want you. They gave him a job. Suddenly he's got a job. He's got a wage. And as he started to do that, he started to, in his later teenage years, put him through, himself through university and he became a banker and he got a job with a bank suddenly Wilson had made it he's getting the money he's put his 23 siblings through school and then he got a better job in a bigger bank and a bigger office and he really had made it in that time he had got to know Jesus dangerous thing to do because one day Jesus said something to him and it was the hardest thing that he ever had to do Jesus said, I want you to leave your job. I want you to go back into the slums where I'm calling you. He said he wrestled with that. That was the hardest step of obedience that he had ever taken. But he obeyed God. And he walked back into the slums and suddenly he had a small group of men and women, 11 of them. And they were drug dealers, people who were in charge of drug cartels, prostitutes and criminals. In those early days, Wilson literally had been, has, had been strangled almost to death and was just rescued at the last minute by a car coming his way. And another time he'd invited people into his home. That night, the same people broke into his home and beat him with iron rods and put him in hospital for months. He paid a cost. He was traumatized. He went through some form of PTSD, uh, deep fear, but God overcame that and he went back in. And in those groups were, were characters. Uh, they have great names in Africa. Uh, I was recently in Malawi. I'm traveling from Mazuzu down to Longway. It was a long way, five hours. And we got a taxi, four, four of us with these big suitcases, and the taxi driver was called Good Luck. So it was from good luck taxis. <laughs> we had good luck. We got there alive. <laughs> anyway, uh, Wilson had a ghost. Ghost was one of his primary disciples. Ghost was called that because every time the police would turn up, he would just disappear like a ghost. <laughs> Wilson didn't quite know what to do, and he went and got some training in disciple-making movements. He learned how to do things like the Discovery Bible. So he started to focus and started to go slow so he could make disciples. It took a couple of years before these, these people became solid disciples. He, he, he went through the process and when they got to the baptismal place and they said, what should we do to obey? One man set up and said, now, now. He said, what do you mean? Now, now. He said, we should get baptized now, now. Now, now became his name. Now, now is actually a leader of thousands. As that group started to multiply, each one of those first 11 disciples then went out and planted a number of groups and then planted a number of groups. And today, Wilson's movement made up of 
from drug cartels to Jesus cartels, from criminals to propagators of Jesus, from prostitutes to servants and multipliers, 5,680 churches in the slums of Uganda. It's amazing. Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor. Where is God doing the new thing? And I turned to Wilson and I said, Wilson, why not Australia? And he replied with a right grin and said this, it's easy. I want to let Wilson speak to you today. Say, it's easy. Simply obey Jesus. Anyone can do that. Hmm. Simply obey Jesus. I'm not quite sure anyone can actually do what Wilson did. Honestly. But I get the point. Do you get the point? I get the point. We can either join the it can't happen here brigade. Or we can activate our faith and become disciples that multiply and make other disciples. Last week, Pastor Dahl encouraged us in our call and our particular call. There was the universal call and there was the particular call. How do I find my particular call? And Pastor Dahl said this great statement, by taking small steps of obedience, learn what it is to be a disciple. Obey Jesus. You just don't know where that will end up. Friends, in the midst of all that swirl of movements and the numbers and the gobsmacking stories and meeting with Wilson, probably the most meaningful thing that happened to me in the last couple of months was actually not those things. But I'd brought a brother from India that we had led to Christ in the 90s. He's a Brahmin Hindu man. And uh, he was a multiplier now of churches, a Nepali guy. I brought him with me to be exposed to movements that were were multiplying. And as we were sitting at lunch, he whipped out his phone and he said uh, this statement, let me show you your grandchildren. Let me show you your grandchildren. And I sat there with tears in my eyes. As he started showing me stories of baptisms and people coming to Christ and groups being planted. But it's this one particular picture I just want to share with you. This lady, this older lady um, uh, here in this picture, she's the madame of a brothel in Mumbai. And uh, a lot of Nepalis get sold into prostitution in, in as young kids. And uh, she... Uh, uh, this uh, lady was the madame, and she came to Christ. And now her brothel is a con- converted into a church in Mumbai. And I've been into that church with my wife, and we've trained Nepali pastors and all kinds of things, but that's not the primary story here. The person next to her is one of those young ladies. And she came to encounter Jesus. And she, um, uh, Abai said, you know what? She is now the leader of the church. I just want you to get your heads around this. Young kid going through such traumatic things in carrying Jesus is now discipling others to disciple others. 
in the slums of Mumbai. If she can do that, don't, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap. If she can do that, you and I can do that. If she comes from that poor, broken, oppressed people that Jesus was talking about, the spirit of the Lord is on me. You can do that. You can make disciples. You can go. Go out. Multiply. Fill the earth with his glory. Again and again, we see that these movements are filled with ordinary people. Ordinary people, not superstars, not great people, not big preachers, not people who have gone to Bible college, not like that. Ordinary people who have learnt Jesus' secret of making disciples. These movements are, are filled with making disciples who make disciples. That's why the term is for disciple-making movements. Small is big. Small groups that multiply to other groups. And movements like this have at their core the Great Commission. When Jesus gathered his disciples. Now this, this Great Commission, some people would say, well, that was a particular call for those group of disciples. It doesn't apply to us today. But no, Jesus had particular calls for the Apostle Peter when he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. But he, he gathered his disciples Vicariously, we are standing with his disciples. It is a universal call to the church because the command finishes, I am with you, when? To the very end of the age. We are standing in the feet of those disciples when Jesus turns around to them and he says this command, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all ethne, all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, underline that word, to obey, everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. The universal call is to be deeply personalized to a particular call into our lives. This is not a call for the missionaries that we do this, or the pastors. We can't pay people to do this. It's a call to be deeply personalized in our lives. Jesus is standing in front of us. We can't just sit in the pews while four billion people would go to hell. The Great Commission is a call to viral multiplication. Disciples making disciples. Every person, leaders that multiply, leaders, churches that multiply, churches, movements that multiply, movements. Every nation. Why every nation? Every family group, every ethne, because God wants to fill the whole earth with his glory. The whole earth. In the natural, we're made to have families. We're made to grow up in the, in, the, in the natural scheme of things and to get married and to have kids. And we greatly celebrate when, when kids come. And we've celebrated a Dale last week showed about his, his grandkids, one born and one on the way, and awesome. We've also cried and wrestled with couples that have really struggled to have kids and being in, in church world and pastoral world, there's many times where we've cried tears and prayed for people that this is a real hard thing. 
And then God entering into the space and granting a baby. Awesome. Celebrate. Yes. The celebration of a new little one is one of the most exciting things. I wonder if we've ever wrestled in the same way with spiritual barrenness. To cry the tears of having no spiritual children. Jesus has a dream. Every one of his followers having spiritual children and grandchildren. But in most of our churches in the West, there's only a tiny percentage of people who see this dream as normal in their spiritual journey. So friends, today we finish where we started in the swirl of messianic prophecy fulfilled in Jesus and the invasion of his kingdom on the earth to every family. We go back into the prophet Isaiah and we hear the song of multiplication. It's a song for you and for me, for the church. It's a song that we can sing over this whole church, but also for us personally. Let's take this word from Isaiah as a word for us as the church in the West. Let's stand together, will you? And I want you to rescue me because I'm not a great reader out aloud. <laughs> and uh, I do struggle with dyslexia and struggle reading things. So would you read this scripture with me? There's two parts of this. What's on this screen in the next part. Uh, but let's read this as a prophetic word of what God wants to say to us. All aloud, all together. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Let's take this next part and say it out loud as a promise for the, the, the prospect of multiplication of what God can do. Amen. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and the people desolate cities. Let's pray. Let's put our hands in front of us. If you don't know how to be a disciple, just simply play this prayer. Jesus, teach me how to be a disciple. Teach me how to obey your commands. If you are on the journey of being a disciple, I want you to cast your mind's eye around your world. Say, Lord, where are my spiritual children? Who should I be investing in? Where do I make disciples? And then name them before God. Pray for them. Pray that we would be a movement that multiplies. You never know where that will end. Ask God right where you are. It's not about my voice that counts here, friends. It's your voice. It's your prayer that counts. Lord, let me multiply. Let me have spiritual children. And Father, finally, I pray for the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Let your image saturate us, help us be multipliers, and fulfill your mandate that all creation 
would acknowledge you. In Jesus' name, amen.